Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Let's dive in. We're in the book of Acts, continuing in our series called the book of Acts. And we're talking about the history of the church. And the reason why we're talking about the history of the church is because there's something in finding out where we came from that helps identify who we are. This is, the book of Acts is a study in not only Jesus's resurrection from the dead, but the beginnings of the church. Acts chapter two is the birth date of the church. It was the beginning, the day of Pentecost was the actual beginning of the church. And we get to see the ups and downs, the highs and lows of the church, what strengthened them, what weakened them, what were their challenges, how did God come through for them? These are all things that are important for us to know so that we can see and know who we are supposed to be. Because what you see on Instagram is not always a picture of what the church is supposed to be. What you see on YouTube is not always a picture of what the church is supposed to be or TV or whatever. But the Bible tells us who we are supposed to be because God is our creator. And how many of you know he's the author of that book? So that's why we're studying the book of Acts. And I encourage you, if you've not... Um, if you've missed a few weeks, we, we um, have this series, entire series online. You can go online and catch up on the weeks that you missed. And this every week is building upon each week. And so we started in chapter one and we've gone chapter by chapter. And so if you've missed anything, some of the things, you can always go back and listen to that and catch up. But we're, last week, we began Acts chapter 13. And I told you it was really a hinge in the book. It's the middle chapter of the book. In this book, we, in this chapter, excuse me, we see a big transition happen. And the transition bef- from the Apostle Peter being the dominant voice or the, the biggest picture, if you will, in the book of Acts to the Apostle Paul. And all of a sudden, we see this major shift that starts happening from the gospel being preached to the Jew to the gospel being preached to the Gentile. Where Peter was predominantly the apostle of the Jews, Paul becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, what is a Gentile? Anybody who's not a Jew. So that means that if you were not born with a Jewish heritage or in a Jewish lineage, then you are technically considered a Gentile. And that's who the apostle Paul came as the, as the apostle to. Now, this is whole new horizon that's opening with this transition in the book of Acts. This whole new way of thinking that for the, uh, even the early apostles, they didn't understand because their worldview was so limited to their culture, their people, their nation. That's all they saw. As a matter of fact, even when Jesus rose again from the dead, imagine this. Imagine spending three years with Jesus every single day. When you went to sleep, he was right next to you. When you said, when you prayed together for your meal, you're literally sitting next to the person who answers prayer. They spent three years with Jesus and still didn't even understand the mission that he was giving them. In Acts chapter one, after he rose again from the dead, he told them this, that he told them to go and to preach the gospel. As a matter of fact, I want you to see the whole thing. I want you to see this, this, this moment. We're going to go back to Acts chapter one just for a moment because I want you to see the way that the apostles thought. Acts chapter one, verse six. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Now here's Jesus died on the cross, rose again from the dead, is standing next to them. And the only thing they can think about is how that will affect their country and their people. That's what their mindset was limited to. Lord, is this the time now that you're going to restore Israel? And I love Jesus' response. He says this, He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. In other words, mind your business. 
In other words, that's God's business. That's not your business. Stop getting all in a tizzy by all of these big national things. Hello, 2020 and 2021. Pay attention to my kingdom. He says this, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What he's saying is you're thinking too small. You're thinking about just this, this nation, Israel. I'm thinking about the entire world. And I'm sending you out, not to build your kingdom, but to build mine. And that's important for us to know. Jesus did not come to build our kingdom. He came to build his. That's so important for us to know and to understand. That's what the Holy Spirit is aiding. He's he's aiding the making of Jesus' name great, not ours. God's message is not that any people group is better than the next. It's not that any ideology or way of thinking is better than the next. And it is certainly not that any nation is greater than any other nation. Let me just tell you this. I believe that we live in one of the greatest nations in the history of the world, the United States of America. I certainly believe that. But I also know it is not without its faults. And I also know that God did not come to make this nation the most dominant. He came to build his kingdom throughout the nations. Now, has he used America? You better believe he has. But he will bless any nation that is allowing, is spreading his kingdom. When you stop spreading his kingdom, he stops the blessings. Because he was never about making us great. He's about making his name great. Jesus came to make his kingdom, his way of doing things, his lordship spread. Jesus came to save the world. And the apostles, they could not even see this. But now, even with these, these, we see these little hints, these things that have been leading up to this moment. Peter with Cornelius, if you missed that message, go back and listen to it. It was called New Horizons. Peter with Cornelius, this Gentile man who gets baptized in the Holy Spirit and starts speaking in tongues, and they couldn't deny God is doing something in this man's life. Now Paul and Barnabas are going and preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. But what were they preaching? What was this message? What is the gospel? Some of my nieces and nephews will say, what even is this? The title of my message today is, I've got good news. Look at the person next to you, tell them, I've got good news. Tell them, even though LSU lost, I still have good news. (laughs) I've got good news today. And you've got good news. Verse 13 says this, Paul and his companions left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. We'll come back to that in the next couple of weeks. That's a big moment. But Barnabas and Saul traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. On the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue for the services. Pastor Gay, what are you talking about? I haven't been here. Paul and Barnabas sent out from this place called Antioch in Syria to go and preach the gospel around the world. And this is Paul's first missionary journey, and he goes to a synagogue. Now, he's been going other places and preaching the gospel, but now we find him going to a synagogue. A synagogue where? In the city of of Antioch. Wait a minute. I thought you just said he was sent out from Antioch. He was. There was Antioch of Syria, and there was Antioch of Pisidia. There were multiple cities with the same name. One was in Syria, one was in Pisidia. Now, it's kind of like us. You have the state of Iowa, and if you're driving to Texas and Louisiana, you have the city of Iowa. How many of you thought for a very long time that was Iowa? Be honest in church. If you aren't honest in church, you die and go straight to hell. That's what <laughs> rode by many times. Is that Iowa? Right here in Louisiana. It's Iowa. Iowa. But you know that there's, there's Paris, France, and then there's Paris, Texas. You take your wife to Paris, France. You don't take your wife to Paris, <laughs> Paris Texas. 
two different places with the same name. This is the same thing. This, this, all of these Antiochs, though, they were, they were founded by a man named Seleucus, who was a Greek general, who named these towns after his father, a man named Antiochus. He was a Greek general, and he named, in honor of his dad, Antiochus, he would name these, these towns Antioch, and then he'd go somewhere else, Antioch, and then he'd go somewhere else, Antioch. So there were multiple Antiochs, and this Antioch in particular was a Roman colony, right? And it, it was one of the leading cities in this area. Now, Paul is going to the, the synagogue to preach. And in the synagogue, there are lots of Jewish people because a synagogue in that day and time was like a local church, where the big church, the main church, or that's the way they considered it, was the, the temple. These, were, these weren't Christians, mind you. These were Jewish people. There, were, there was the temple that was the ultimate place that they believe you met with God. But then there were these little branch-offs all over in different towns called synagogues. And every synagogue, they had a way of doing things. The same way that most churches have a way of doing things. You go to one church and they do things differently than the other church. You go to one church and you walk in, you stand up, you kneel down, you sit down, you kneel down, you stand up, and you get your aerobics in for the day. You go to some churches and they allow you to get your cardio in by running around the church. Not here. Again. But you come here, and even here, we have a, a way of doing things. It's not perfect. It's not the way God always, God says you have to do it. It's just our way of doing it. We, we start off singing worship songs. You hear announcements about things going on, and then we go into the word of God. That's just kind of the way we do it. And so here in these synagogues, they had a way of doing it, and this was their way of doing it. They would open in prayer. And then they would have a reading from the law. What was the law? It was the first five books of the Old Testament written by Moses. They would have a reading from the first five books of the Old Testament. There was no New Testament at the time. All they had was the Old Testament. And then you would, you would teach a lesson from the prophets. So you had the law was written by Moses, and then you have the writings of the prophets. That's Jeremiah, Isaiah, right? All, Zechariah, all of these were the prophets. So they would teach a lesson from there, and then there would be a sermon by a competent rabbi or a competent person. So if there was someone there who knew the word of God well enough to teach it, they would allow them to stand up and to say something. And so this is what we see ha happen right here. Acts chapter 13, verse 15, this is what it says. After the usual reading from the books of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. So, Paul seizes this opportunity. He seizes this moment. One thing you do not do is give a preacher a microphone. That's what they did here. Paul, do you have anything to share? Paul sees that moment because Paul saw that this is an open door from God. Don't miss this. That was an open door God gave him to share this message. He seized the opportunity. He used his circle of influence to further the gospel. Let me ask you this. What open doors has God given you? What moments has he given you to, to speak the truth, to preach the gospel? And do you take those moments? Because I've mentioned this before, but all of us have circles of influence. Every one of us has a, some realm of influence that we walk in and someone will hear our voice. That could be your family, that could be your job, your, expert, your, your area of expertise, that could be whatever, your neighborhood, your school, whatever it is, there are places that you can go that you have a sphere of influence that God has given you that he has not given to every person around you. God has given me a sphere of influence that's different than yours. There are places that you have influence that if I went to walk in and say anything to them, they wouldn't hear me because that's the influence God gave you. What if that is the open door that God has given you to share his gospel? And do we take those moments? Do we seize those moments? I had a conversation this past week with a college-age student 
Um, and, and this college-age student has, has risen to a, a prominent position in their law school, a very prominent position in their law school. And they called me to, to just ask my advice on some things. And they said, I'm dealing with some issues and some, some people, and I'm seeing some things, Pastor Gabe, that just aren't right. And I feel convicted in my spirit about what I'm seeing, and I don't know what to do about it. And I told them this. I said, listen, what if, what if God gave you that platform for a reason? What if the reason why you're bothered by the things that you're seeing is because God has called you to help bring about change? What if the message that you have is what is needed to help bring about truth to people that may never hear it from anyone else because he's given you that circle of influence? Church, God has given you a circle of influence as well. Question is, do we use it? Do we take advantage of these open doors, these opportunities, these moments to share the gospel. See, Paul was a Jewish rabbi, so they respected his opinion. They respected what he had to say. And he took that influence and he pointed them to Jesus. Now hear me, I'm not talking about just pointing them to church. Next week, you have a great opportunity. Like, like Hannah and I mentioned, we're gonna be preaching the gospel to people. Your friends and your family, we're asking you, invite them to church because we're gonna share Jesus with them. And after this service, a lot of fun things, all of this stuff, but hear me. Though I want you to do this, though I want you to invite people, even I'm not in this to just build this church. I'm in this to build God's kingdom. Because you may leave this place, and I hope that this is a foundation in your life, that you're going to build his kingdom wherever you go. If you move to Iowa one day, you're going to build the kingdom there. If you move to Paris, France, or Paris, Texas, hopefully you move to Paris, France, you're going to build his kingdom there. Because it's who we as the church of Jesus Christ are called to be. Paul, he used his influence, he used his platform. And let me just say this about platforms and influence. Stop envying other people's platform when you're not willing to use the one that God's given you. It's real easy to say, if I was in that position, I would do this. If I were them, I would say this. If I got the opportunity to speak to all of them, I would say this. Don't say that if you're not willing to tell the truth where you're at. If you're not willing to share Jesus with the people you're around. If you're not willing to bring about change where God has clearly given you a platform. If he, if he can't trust you with the platform he's given you now, why would he give you a greater one? We've got to use that. We've got to speak the truth, preach the gospel where we are. Now, Paul again seizes this moment because he knows that this is his mission. He knows that this is his calling. This is why he came. So when the, the opportunity presented itself, he wasn't wondering, going, should I? I'm not sure. He knew I am here for this purpose. And it, brings per it brought purpose to him being there, to his life, for these questions. Listen to me, I said this in our first service. But there are some of you who wander around in life aimlessly trying to figure life out. What is my pur purpose? Why am I here? Because you have a, mes a message to share with the world. You may be a man here who you've hit that stage of life and you're trying to, and you're rethinking everything going, did I make a mistake? Should I have done this? Should I have made this decision? Should I have gone, should I have moved when I have the opportunity? I feel like life has no meaning. Listen to me. Life has a meaning. You are called by God to have the influence in the platform you have. You are a chosen man. Use that. Preach the gospel. Make disciples. Make a difference in other men's lives. Make a difference in your own family's life. Be a man of God. Wherever you're at, wherever you work, there's purpose attached to your life. Listen to me. New moms who feel like I've lost my identity because my identity is mom, 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 and that's just your husband. Listen, I... It's true. But you feel like, I, what am I? Oh, I? I have no purpose. Yes, you do. Everywhere you go, you have an eternal message inside of you.
And sometimes you're preaching that eternal message to those children that you're raising. Who, who knows what God can and will do in their lives if you stay faithful to that calling and faithful to loving them the way that the word of God tells you to, even when it's hard. Staying faithful to the message and the purpose he's given you with other moms who are struggling and wrestling with the same things and they feel like they have no purpose in life and you're able, they're able to look at your life and go, there's joy inside of her. And she seems fulfilled. Why? Why does she and I don't? Because she knows who God has made her to be. And she knows she's fulfilling God's plan for her life. We all have that eternal message to share. We all have that eternal purpose if we're a part of God's kingdom. Build his kingdom and make Jesus' name known. That's our purpose. And Paul knew that. So do we take the opportunities to preach the gospel when we get it? Verse 16. So Paul stood, he lifted his hand to quiet them, and he started speaking. He said, men of Israel, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. He seized the moment, and he preached his very first message. I have back here, and I'm not going to show it to you, but I have back there a certificate of the, one of the first messages that I ever preached and it says on the certificate, it says that for performing an excellent job. How many of you know that is a stretch? <laughs> I was 16 years old. April 1997. That was the first message or one of the first messages I've ever preached. One of the first two messages I've ever preached. Here we have the first recorded message of the Apostle Paul. The very first one, he, he, we have a recording of him preaching. Of course, he preached other ones, but this is the first one that we have actually recorded. And what he preached was the gospel. So if you ever want to know what the gospel is, I'm getting ready to tell you what it is. Because Paul shows us what the gospel is. Verse 17, this is what he says as he stands up to preach in front of these Gentiles and these Jewish men. These God-fearers and these Jewish men. The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery. He put up with them through 40 years. Everybody say 40 years. 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin who reigned for how many years? Forty years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who was God's promised Savior of Israel. Before he came, John the Baptist preached that all the people of Israel needed to repent of their sins and to turn to God and be baptized. As John was finishing his ministry, he said, do you think that I am the Messiah? No, I am not. But he is coming soon, and I'm not even worthy to be his slave or untie the sandals of his feet. What we see here, and I believe there's a comparison that Paul is making. Now, mind you, he's talking to Jewish people about their Jewish heritage. He's building a bridge. He's relating to them. He's helping them see, I understand what you're thinking, but I also understand what you're missing. And he says, I see, I, I see this comparison in, in Scripture. He, talk, he says, I see, remember with the wilderness, your ancestors spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness and then God gave them the promised land. They disobeyed and in their disobedience and doing what they wanted to do, they, they, had to, they were punished for 40 years and then God gave them the promised land. And then he says, I saw and I remember that, that Saul you wanted a king. You didn't want God's prophets to judge any longer in our land. You wanted to have a king like all of the rest of the nation. So God gave you what you asked for. He gave you a king. And that king turned out poorly. 
and you spent 40 years underneath him, in, in a sense, it was God's judgment on them. He gave them what they wanted. But then I gave you David. God gave you David, the greatest king in the history of Israel. And then he, you see the comparisons? He's saying, now, many of you were impressed with John the Baptist. And in, you, I'm not going to put this on the screen, but you can look it up. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus himself says this about John the Baptist. He says, John, there was not a greater man ever born to a woman than John the Baptist. Yet, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. What he's saying is, is you have a whole side of things that you thought were what you were supposed to have. You thought what was best for your life, and you've completely missed what God wanted. It's the best. If you will just do it God's way you'll have God's blessing. And that's important for us to know, even in our own lives. We try to get God's blessing without doing it God's way. We think somehow that we're smarter than God. God, I need this. And that's why, even when I talked about this last week, when I talked about sometimes God answers our prayer and the answer is no. Because he knows better. And sometimes we're asking for things that are not good for us. And they joked about this a couple weeks ago. How many of you remember, God, please let me date her. And now you see her on Facebook and you're like, dodge that one, Lord. Thank you. But even, listen to me, even in your, your moments of hurt and pain, there are times when we're going to look back on those things and go, Lord, it was good that I went through that because because of that, I'm here now. You brought, if it wouldn't have been for that, I wouldn't be here. You are good. You are good. So Paul is making this comparison of all the things that they wanted or the things that they thought were best. And the whole time they were constantly missing what God wanted for them. And then he goes on to say this in verse 26, brothers, you sons of Abraham and also you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation has been sent to us. Keep in mind, this was brand new to them. They'd never heard this. There was no internet. There was no Billy Graham crusades. There were no, no Christian tracts. This was brand new to them. But they had been waiting for and wanting this Messiah to come. And Paul says, I've got good news for you. I've got good news. What was that good news? What is it that we preach? I want to break this down very simply because, and this, hear me when I say this, it's vitally important for you to know what the gospel is. Because there's so many things that you're going to read about, hear about, see things that are taught in culture, things that are taught in schools, things that are taught in the name of unifying the world together so we can all hold hands and sing kumbaya that are lies, that aren't true. This is the gospel that the Bible preaches. And here it is. I want to give it to you clearly. Why, Pastor? Because if you believe right, you can live right. If you're taught wrong and you believe wrong, you're going to live the wrong way, believing it's the right way. That's why you have so many churches out there who take isolated scriptures in the Bible and they manipulate it and they change it out of context and control masses of people because they don't understand what the Bible is actually saying. I want you to be very clear in understanding what the text of scripture says. The first point of the gospel is this. Jesus came as a man in the flesh. He came as a man in the flesh. And some of you are going to go, duh. Listen, you may believe this to the core of your being, but there are people around you who are being taught and are questioning this even right now. Jesus came in the flesh. Acts chapter 13, verse 23. And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. Why? What is that? Jesus was a descendant of David. Jesus was a man. Jesus was not simply a spirit who showed up places. God came in the form of a man. And he was a 100% God and a 100% man all at the same time. 
He wasn't half God, half man. This is is not, you know, 50-50. He's not the bionic man and the bionic woman. Shout out to the 70s. He was all God and all man. This is at the core of what we believe. This is important. You have to know these things. He became a man. The next thing is Jesus died on the cross for our sin. Lots of people believe Jesus died on the cross, but they don't believe that he died for their sin because they don't believe they have sin. You can, the sad thing about the day and time that we live in is you can find someone right in the middle of the most egregious sin in the world and tell them, hey, God loves you. And they will go, I know. Because they know the good news without understanding the bad news first. And the bad news is we were all born into this world with sin, with a sinful nature, and we are separated from God by that sin. Pastor, that sounds heavy. It's the truth. We were born with a sinful nature. From childhood, not my babies, yes, your babies. You don't have to teach a child how to sin. It comes naturally to them. First words are not others. First words are mine or no or mama and then followed by I. Jesus died for our sins. Verse 27, the people of Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as the one the prophets had spoken of. Instead, they condemned him. And in doing this, they fulfilled the prophet's words that are read every Sabbath. They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. When they had done all that the prophecy said about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him on the tomb. Now, this is a side note. I want you to catch this. Paul knew very well who actually nailed Jesus to the cross. It was the Romans. But he's talking to the Jews. And if you notice, he didn't rile them all up and go, come on, yeah, the Romans killed Jesus and you were innocent of that and you didn't know that, so let's go against the Romans. He didn't do that. He said, you crucified him. He pointed out to them their faults. See, when I, when I counsel married couples, and I may give you this secret and this tip now so you know when you come to see me ahead of time, if I'm sitting with a husband who's complaining about his wife, I may hear very clearly what the wife is doing wrong. But that's not my time to tell him what the wife is doing wrong. That's my time to tell him what he's doing wrong. Because he needs to see the part that he's playing in that. If I'm sitting with a wife, yeah, he may be horrible, but I'm going to talk about what you're doing wrong. Why? Because that doesn't change him if I'm dealing, if I'm telling you what's wrong with him, that doesn't change him. If I'm talking to him and I'm not, I'm talking about her, it doesn't change her. God wants to deal with us about our sin. See, it's easy for us to point out everybody else's faults, but Jesus dealt with our sin. Why? Because we have sinned. And that sin is what corrupts our lives. That sin is what separates us from God. And sometimes you have to understand what the bad news is before you can accept the good news. And the bad news is there is no hope apart from Christ. There is no hope. And again, there are so many, there are different religions and all, but the one thing about our religion and our, our belief and our faith and our confidence and our trust is this, we have a judge. Jesus is that judge, but that judge came down in the form of a man and paid the price, paid for the penalty that we should have paid for. That's the difference. Every religion has gods who tell you that you're wrong. Our God can tell us that we're wrong and then come down and take the place in the punishment of what we deserve. It's the difference. Jesus died. This is important as well. Jesus died. He He didn't fall in a coma. He wasn't sleeping on the cross. He physically died. They took a spear and shoved it into his ribs to ensure his death. He really died. And he died for your sin. But the third and most important point is this. God raised Jesus from the dead. 
You raised him from the dead. And I know, listen, to some of you, as you hear this, some of this is so elementary, so basic to you, and I get that. But you need to know what you're preaching to other people. You need to know that the gospel is not, let me just tell you how God changed my life. That is important, but that may not change their life. As a matter of fact, that won't change their life. All that will do is point to the fact that the gospel message that you preach can change their life the same way it changed yours. You've got to know what you're sharing with other people. You've got to know what we believe so that you can live right. The gospel is not about you. And I love this, and I'm, I, mean, I was going to share this a little bit later, but here's the thing about what we believe in, and sometimes we have made our Christianity so much about us and our lives that we forget that Jesus is the real hero of this story. He's the one. We, we go even, in, and I heard another, heard another preacher talk about this, even when we read the Old Testament stories, we automatically make ourselves the hero of the story. How many of you ever read David and Goliath? You're like, that's right, I'm David. No, you're not. You're Goliath. You're Goliath. What do I mean by that? Your sin is Goliath. And Jesus was the hero who came and rescued you from your sin. He is the hero. The Old Testament is full of pictures and types and shadows of Jesus' coming that the Jewish people could not see. The same way that sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Jesus was raised from the dead. Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. This is what separates us. Listen, living for God is not, let's mix a little bit of Buddha, a little bit of Muhammad, a little bit of Hare Krishna. Let's get it all together because God loves everybody and wants everybody in in heaven. Listen to me, God does love everyone. But God is not going to compromise truth for everyone. And even as I say this, there are different religions out there. There There's a fusion of things trying to happen right now. That if you're not careful, if you're not grounded in the word of God, you can easily be deceived by it. There's even a religion right now that they're trying to create called Chrislam, which is a fusion between Jesus Christ and the Muslim faith put together. Listen to me. Jesus and Jesus alone is Lord. Jesus alone. And that is not to be, that is not to exclude people, but in a sense, it's to bring them to truth. We don't, we, don't, we don't tear down the walls of truth so that we can make people feel better. No, it is the conviction of sin that allows us to see ourselves the way we really are, that when you accept that truth, that's when you can be free. That's why Jesus said, it is, you will know the truth and the truth will do what? Make you free. Lying to people in, in order to make them feel better does not do them well. It does not do them a service. If anything, it sets them up for failure. When you love people, you tell them the truth. When you love people, you share with them the hope that you have. And this is the hope that we have. We serve a true and living God who came in the flesh died on the cross for our sin and on the third day was risen again from the dead and he is now Lord of all. Lord of all. And if you will make him the Lord of your life, he'll save you. No no more of this. You know what, if you come to church and you serve God, you'll have a better life. That's not even true sometimes. Sometimes we get saved and we fight the devil much harder than we did before. How many of you been around people, or you may even be that person, when you get saved and your family's been praying for you to get saved, and then you get too saved? (laughs) Right? And they start like, oh, I liked you better before. It's not about us. This is about him. Verse 32, and now we are here to bring you this good news 
The promise was made to our ancestors and God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. This is what the, psalm, the second psalm says about Jesus. You are my son, today I have become your father. Paul begins to go on talking about these moments in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. And then verse 38, he says, brothers, listen, we are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is, listen to this, forgiveness for your sins. And then he gets to verse 39. Verse 38 sounds great, but then he brings home the truth in verse 39. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight. Sounds great. Until he says this, something the law of Moses could never do. He's telling this to a group of people who have built their entire lives on the law of Moses. That that could be the thing that saved them. Their righteousness with God. Let me help you, church. And this is for all of us to hear. Our righteousness doesn't save us. You being a good person does not save you. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us this way. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. It means nothing. That, so that, let that do away. That may sound discouraging, but let me encourage you. Do away with the mindset that I've got to get my act together before I come to God. That's not how it works. I've got to do better, pastor, so I can actually come back to church. What am I going to say to those people I haven't been here in a little while? Or what am I going to? Listen to me. This is a hospital for the broken and the hurting and the sick. That's what this is. This is where you come to be set free. This is where you come to be healed. This is where you come to be helped. You can't do it on your own. We don't put our trust in anything else other than Jesus and what he did for us. That's the gospel. That's what we share with people. That's what people need to hear. That my sins were forgiven because of what he did. So your sins can be forgiven for what you've done because of what he did. That's the message of hope. That's the message that brings life. That Jesus is Lord. And I want you to know something, because that may sound so simple to you, but you have an advocate. The voice of the Holy Spirit is always at work in the hearts of men. So as you're sharing this, as you're speaking the gospel and sharing it with people, you don't have to do the work. The Holy Spirit does. Because the moment that you show people the truth, it's like a mirror. And they see themselves for how they really are. And the Holy Spirit's inside of them going, you know that's right. You know that they're right. So they may even reject you. As we see here, even with Paul, there was the, the, the temptation, the tendency for him to be rejected, but he shared it anyway. And there's going to be many moments where we're nervous and we're afraid to share what's in our heart because we're afraid of being rejected. Listen to me. I get it. I understand. I know it. But who knows what God can do if you open up your mouth and share they may reject you to your face, but when they're at in, at bed at nighttime, they're sitting back replaying in, your, in their minds all the words that you said. How do I know that? I believe that's what happened with Paul. Because even this message as Paul was preaching it, it is very similar to the message that Stephen preached in Acts chapter 7. Who was Stephen? He was the first martyr who was killed and stoned to death. And there was a man named Saul, who is Paul, who stood there advocating for his death. And I believe from the moment that Stephen preached that message and Saul heard it, it never left his mind. So even though he was willing to kill Stephen, it never left him. Church, you never know when you share the gospel with somebody, you share this hope that you have with someone, you never know what God is doing and what you're gonna say that is never going to leave them. They can't escape it. Because the Holy Spirit is inside of them going, that's right. And you can act like that. You can respond like that. You can push away from it. But you know that I'm right. That's the message that we preach. And let me just say this before I close. And I know some of you may be going, Pastor, where I'm, maybe you came here with your mom and you're smart and you're all whatever. I'm intellectual pastor, and I don't know if I believe in all of this. Let me just help you. A hundred years from now, the things that make you intellectual right now won't even be true. It will no longer be true. 
And if you don't believe me, look back 100 years ago to the most intelligent people in the world. Are the things that they believe still true? Most of them aren't. We serve an eternal God with an eternal message that has not changed. This is what we preach. Well, pastor, I've been hurt by the church. And I mean, that kind of skews the way that I see this. Listen, I get it. I understand it. But just because the messenger is bad, it doesn't make the message bad. It doesn't make the message bad. And I told this our first service and joked around with them. But here's the thing. If I order something from Amazon, I don't care what the Amazon delivery driver looks like. Just give me my package. I just want the blender. And hopefully you put it at the right time so people don't steal it from my front door. Right? I want the package. Don't let the, the bad messengers corrupt the message. But I do share this with you. As messengers of the gospel, do your part to represent him well. The Bible says, walk worthy of your calling. Our calling is to spread this glorious good news for Acadiana to hear it and for the world to hear it. Walk worthy of that. Be his messenger. Be his ambassador. Speak on his behalf. And I know, listen to me, I know, I know the world, there's things that the world wants that they want to find everywhere else but here. They want to find love. They want to find provision. They want to find peace. They want to find unity. You cannot find those things apart from Christ. It is a misnomer. It is not true to think that you can find it even in unity. And I've talked about this before. We can all be unified and hold hands and sing kumbaya and be on our way to hell. That is not the good news. The good news is truth, and that truth changes us. Church, you have the answer. You have the message. Share it. Use your platform. I'm ending with this. Acts 13, verse 40 says, then Paul goes on to say this. Be careful. Don't let the prophet's words apply to you. For they said, look, you mockers, be amazed and die. For I am doing something in your own day, something you won't believe, even if I told you about it. Verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. When they opened up their mouth and they shared the gospel, lives were changed. They didn't know how they were going to respond, but they responded with, can you please share this next week? We've got to hear more about this. Why am I telling you that? Church, people need to hear the message that you have. Your friends and your family members who you think there's no hope for them, there's always hope for them. That child you've been praying for, there's no hope for them. There's always hope for them. God can do more in one instance than you can in 10 years of effort and trying. But the thing that he uses, the thing that the Holy Spirit uses is not just these mystical, magical moments. He uses the gospel that you have. Don't just pray, share. Don't, this, don't just give an example, speak it. Tell them how and what is it that we're sharing. The gospel is the announcement of Jesus' death his burial, his resurrection, and his lordship over all creation for the forgiveness of sins and the redemption of the world. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for this message. This is single-handedly the greatest message known to man. The greatest hope ever given to mankind that the God that we offended would love us so much that he would come and pay our price to bring us back into intimacy with him. An avenue of that good news, the celebratory moment, the, the message of healing and hope is this, that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is Lord. Not my righteousness, not Lord. Other religions, is, they're not Lord. Jesus, it's by you and you alone that I can be saved.
And I pray that you equip us in a way that only you can to share this message with those around us who need it. And I pray for the day that our, our communities will have heard this gospel and this good news swept all over this region. And I thank you for that. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, you're talking about this and this gospel and it's spreading this gospel, the truth is, is I've never even responded to this gospel. I've never made Jesus the Lord of my life. And I want you to know something. If that's you and you're here today, this is no accident. You're here because God loves you and he's drawing you by the Holy Spirit. And he wants to change you. He wants to give your life hope and meaning and all of those things. But most importantly, he wants you to recognize who he is so that he can bring you into his kingdom. And I want to walk you through a process, a process of being born again. And it's a very simple process. It's easy. It's A, B, C, A, you admit. Admit what? That you're a sinner. That there's legitimately sin in your life that separates you from a holy God. That's what this is. That's where you're at and you're honest about that. And in B, you believe. Believe what? That God sent the solution for that problem when he sent his son to die on that cross for you. That he paid that price for you so that your sins could be forgiven and you could be right with him. And see, you confess that what? He is now Lord. Lord of what? Lord of your life. You bow your knee and you make him Lord. And you say, I've tried living life my way, now I'm going to try living life yours and make you Lord. That's it. It's that simple. If you'll do that, he'll bring you into his kingdom. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll make you a new creation. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I want that. I want to be in right standing with God. I want to be in a right relationship with God with no one looking around. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to just lift up your hand and I'm going to acknowledge who I'm praying with. And then I'm going to ask us all to pray this prayer out loud together with those who are praying it to be born again. One, two, if that's you, be bold, be courageous, lift that hand up. Three, if that's you, lift it up. You say, Pastor, that's me. I want to be born again. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand back there. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. I see your hand, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else to see your hand back there? Praise God. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. You can put them down. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud together. With every one of these, these precious now saints of God that are going to be born again in his kingdom. Say these words with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. I turn away from my sin to follow you. I repent of my sin. And from this moment on, God, you are my Father. Jesus, you are my Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's celebrate with everybody that prayed that prayer.